Well, good morning to everybody here at our physical location, everybody that's watching this part of our online community. We're super excited to have you with us today. My name is Michael. This is Rachel. If you haven't met us before, over the last two and a half years, we've had the honor of leading this church family. And it's rare, about once a year, our schedules align, we're able to preach together. You ready for this? Yep. Okay, okay, that's not, that's not good. That's not sounding good for the rest of the time. But kudos, will you give it up for our creative team that threw this together to kind of make it yeah. look kind of like a living room? So it's so much nicer than our own living room. This yes. would never survive at our house. Why not? No, the dog. The dog would chew it, chew it up. It would it'd be nasty in two days. Yep. But we're super excited for week three, right, today, week three. Week three, yeah, we have looked at week one. We looked at division within the church. Last week, we looked at unity in the church. That's a nice way to put it. I put it nicely. Yeah, good job. And so now we're picking up kind of in week three of this series, if you're new with us for the first time, we're kind of making our way over the course of six weeks through First and Second Corinthians in the New Testament. And we kind of ended last week with chapter seven in First Corinthians. And as you continue to read, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's talking about your, your one body with many parts. He's saying that, man, a church can't thrive, a church can't continue to move forward unless each of you have your own giftings. And as you look through that, he talks about some of you are prophets, some of you are our teachers, some of you God has given you the gift of, of healing, others of you, uh, he, he's given you the gift to come alongside people and lead people. And as you continue to read all the way through the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very last verse says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. It kind of tees up where Paul is going in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which probably out of these six weeks is the most famous passage in all of the scripture. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I think for most of you, you've probably been at a wedding or maybe at your own wedding where that passage was read. And I think for me, it's kind of where my mind normally goes through goes to, but when we were away, we went on vacation in June, and uh, we were night one on a cruise that we were taking with our, our kids, and I'd love to tell you that it was all like smooth sailing, both on the sea and in our family. It wasn't. It wasn't all dinners and daiquiris, yo, uh, and, and there were some things that happened on, on night one, and and I remember I, 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 I kind of lost my mind for a little bit on, on one of our kids who shall remain nameless for the sake of a good lunch together today. Um, but I remember I, I came back to the cabin that night and, and I sat down and I was just kind of fuming and I wasn't able to even relax. And, you know, that, that night I was already preparing two months ago for what this series was going to look like. And, and the Lord pointed me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and I read that passage that Rach just read to y'all. And uh, I said last week, sometimes when I'm in God's word, sometimes it's, it's confirmation, but a lot of times it's conviction. And, and when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I realized that was conviction on 
who I wasn't being with my kids in that particular moment. And, and today, we just want to talk to all the parents and grandparents in the room. And we know that some of you are in different seasons right now. Not everybody's a, a parent right now, but some of you, I know, desire to be parents. And we're praying for, for a lot of you. And we're coming alongside of you. And maybe some of you are saying, well, we're not parents yet. But, man, after that message last week, maybe you'll be parents in nine months. Like, I know some of you went home and were fulfilling all, all week long. But uh, it, it's really exciting for us to share, not from a place of perfection, but really what the Lord is, is teaching us in real time right now regarding parenting. Yeah, and we do want to recognize that our, there are multiple groups in this room. Um, this is not to dishonor anyone this morning, but we really truly believe that you could get something out of this morning, wherever you're at and whatever season you're in, whether you are a parent or whether you desire to be a parent or whether you've lost a child to either physical death or even the death of a relationship that God wants to speak into your situation this morning. You know, when Michael asked me to speak on parenting with him, um, my first response was, um, are we qualified to do that? Because <laughs> I know a lot of times as parents, we feel inadequate and we think we fall short in so many ways and we're definitely walking in real time. Um, and each season has brought its own insecurities, its own struggles, its own levels of exhaustion. I think we remember when they were babies and toddlers and how physically exhausting it is. Some of you are walking through that right now. The exhaustion of the strong-willed toddler, we remember how physically exhausting that was and emotionally exhausting that was. Um, but I think I found myself in so many seasons wishing seasons away. And why do we do that? Because it's hard. It's really hard. And we wish different seasons away, thinking that the next one is going to be better, which it does come with its own, you know, blessings. Um, but each season is equally as hard. You see, when the kids were young, it was very physically exhausting, like I said, but we put them to bed at 7 o'clock. And if you are parents of littles and you don't have the 7 to 7 schedule, work on it. It was the best thing we ever did. And um, now we don't get that. We have teenage years, and, you know, we can only speak from what we have gone through. But I'm finding that with teenagers, it's a different kind of exhaustion. It's an emotional exhaustion. We're trying to develop or help develop these humans that have so much of us in them with their own individual greatness, hoping that one day they're going to walk out of the door to be healthy, emotionally, physically healthy, respectful, functioning adults. And it's a lot. You know, I grew up very much following the rules for the most part. I never wanted to be in trouble. So I stayed away from a lot of the big trouble, you know, some little trouble. But I stayed away from a lot of big trouble. And I was very much ADD. I was all over the place. And so I had a lot of irresponsibility that came with that. And so I had my things. And it looks different for every kid. And it looks different for each kid in our family, too. They're all very, very different. And I grew up in an amazing youth group. It was, I feel like, revival at the time. We had 500 kids in our youth group back in the 90s. And so, but in the same way, we gave a bunch of rules out in the 90s youth group, and we talked a lot about what the church was against, but we never really talked about what the church was for. 
Just like Michael said last week, we always heard how dirty sex was, but we never heard how divine sex can be. And so we heard all that growing up. You know, we were the um, side hug youth group. You could only side hug the opposite sex. Um, but I think they had great intentions. I don't believe they had horrible intentions. But, you know, I think it came to the part where we were so scared of messing up and we were so scared of messing up in our faith that it became more about action than it became about the heart. And I think so often the church, we focus so much on behavior modification instead of heart transformation. Because the heart transformation will bring the behavior modification. And this is kind of where I want to preach from today and what God has been showing to us recently. This is stuff we're walking through ourselves and we fall short every day, but um, we have four areas that the Lord has challenged us on uh, recently, and we want to talk to you about that today. And when it comes to our kids, I want to focus not on their hurdles, but I want to focus on their heart. You see, I think we can so easily forget that we were kids, that we were teenagers, that we were young adults, and we were trying to figure it out. Some of us are still trying to figure it out. That God made us, and he made our interests, and he made our talents and our giftings, and he's put things inside of us, and all the body image, and figuring out who we are, and where our role is within culture and within the church. I think we get to the point where we want our kids not to mess up or make the mistakes that we did, or have the insecurities that we did, that we become so hyper-focused on that, that we lose them in the process. You know, I know in our household, and Michael would agree, um, I tend to be more of the rigid parent, um, especially when it comes to like friends they're hanging out with, where they're going, what they're doing, and Michael tends to be more relaxed on that. Um, and we'll be talking about this in Riverside 101 today if you're coming, but um, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and one of my top spiritual gifts is discernment. And there are times when I discern things about my kids and end up being right, but there's also times where it comes to judgment of our kids and their friends, and I'm wrong. You know, um, I believe Holy Spirit does tell me things. I believe Holy Spirit uses my dog to wake me up at 3 a.m. when I need to be up and checking things out. But I get so rigid sometimes that I push my kids and their friends away. You know, I've heard the phrase come out of my kids' mouth that they feel like they're a disappointment to us because of their actions. And I never, ever want them to feel that way. I want to always explain to them that you are not the disappointment. Your actions may be disappointing, but you are not the disappointment. That's not who you are. I always want to be telling them who they are and not what they're not. You see, I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to know that they're chosen, that they're beautiful, that they're handsome, that they're fun, loving, caring, respectful, and smart, and the list can go on, but always reminding them of the amazing future that God has for them because they have all the ingredients of an amazing future. But God has to mold them, and he has to shape them into that. And they're going to have hurdles in their life, but it will never supersede their heart. And I always want to cultivate and plant seeds within 
the heart that are not going to destroy them. And I feel like I mess up on that every day, but I know that God and God in all of his goodness will always fill in the cracks where I feel like I fall short. You know, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians, it got me because first of all it says, it does not demand its own way. You see, our kids have to learn. They have to go through stuff. We cannot put them in this bubble and expect them not to go through things and we demand our own way, but is that really showing love to them? It also says to not keep a record of wrongs. This one is hard for me because I do tend to bring up things they've done or said. And don't get me wrong, there are consequences in our house and there is trust that needs to be earned back when it is broken. And we are the ones that keep, we are the first ones to hold them accountable to that. But in the same way, the guilt trip doesn't bring them close. It pushes them away. And this one is hard for me. And it says also, it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It rejoices when the truth wins out. And this one hit me so hard. Wednesday morning, sitting outside, preparing this point. Am I rejoicing when the truth wins out? Am I praising them when they make the right decision? Am I praising them and giving them as much encouragement when they do the right thing as I am when I am telling them off when they do the wrong thing? Or am I just keeping records of wrong? Maybe always be rejoicing over their heart and them doing the right thing instead of the hurdles that they're inevitably going to come. They're growing. The frontal lobe is not developed. I keep saying that. They're going to make mistakes, but focusing on their heart over their hurdles. Yeah, I think it's so good. I think for me, kind of the second thing that I'm trying to figure out in real time is, uh, secondly, we're going to learn to focus not on our providing, but our presence. Not on our providing, but our presence. And see, over the last month or so, um, I've had the opportunity and the great honor to do uh, a handful of funerals. And, and as I'm a part of those funerals, I always read through the obituary. And as you're reading through the obituary, it's kind of broken down into several different sections. You know, at the top, it, it says they're survived by, and it may be a, a spouse or um, kids or grandkids. And then it goes on to say that they, they worked as, and it talks about their employment over the years. And then towards the end, it, it says what they enjoyed doing, kind of like what their hobbies were. And as I looked and I read those obituaries over and over again, it was a reminder to me that your people are always more important than your position and your pastimes. We have to get that in the right order. Your people are always more important than your position and your pastimes. I talked to too many moms and dads, grandparents that say, you know, I'm just trying to add one more appointment on my, on my work calendar. I'm just trying to be assigned to one more board position. I'm just trying to slide in one more client so I can, I can provide for my family. And, and, and the thing that I often tell them is the same thing that you think is helping your family is actually hindering your family because they need you. See, some of you 
our parents and grandparents and your family desperately needs you in this season that you're in right now. And when I sit down with people and I say, how is your marriage going? How's your family going? And they start to talk about the, the cracks that have come, the issues that have come up. And I say, tell me, walk me through your schedule. And, and they share with me and they're go, go, go. And there's, there's never time where they're really home. They're not home and they're intentional with that time. And I'll often say, you need to be home more. And that goes over like a lead balloon. They're like, I can't because I, I, I've got to be working. I've got to be striving. I, I've got to get a, little, a few extra hours on my paycheck. And I always lead them back to Jesus midway through the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus is talking about money and possessions. You see it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? See that, that song, I don't know if you love that song Gyra from Mav City and Elevation. That actually comes from this passage. I, my, my favorite part of the whole song is when this girl Naomi comes out with like the refrain and, and she's like, if he dresses a little. My favorite song, I sing like I'm Naomi. I don't sing like Naomi. Um, but I, I, I love that piece because it comes right back from this passage. You are enough in every, I will be content in every circumstance. What if we as providers, we as parents and grandparents, we would be content in every single circumstance? See, it's not about bringing in more money. It's not about more opportunities, more stuff, more titles. See, Jesus is saying right now, no, I need you to be intentional, to quit worrying about that stuff. I'm always going to provide. See, we spend more time building our portfolio rather than building our family. I've met lots of people that have amassed great wealth. They've amassed great influence, but they've lost their family in the process. See, it's why for me, there are things I'm just saying no to. The older I get, the more I say no. The more I say no to my kids, the more I say no to other opportunities. Because just in the last week, I said in the nine o'clock last week, is that my son is getting ready to, to play soccer. And it's a flex. I'm just going to say it right now. Like, he's a sophomore, and he made varsity, so he's playing, like, varsity and JV. And I'm like, I'm going to every single game that I can possibly go to because I don't want to miss those moments. Just the other day, my, my daughter, I went into her room, and, and there's a, a show on Netflix that we love, and they just dropped season three. And I was like, you want to watch it together? And, and it kind of took her back for a moment because normally I'm so busy. But can I tell you, the Lord is working on my heart in real time. I want to be intentional. And so we sat down and we watched a couple episodes together before I fell asleep in episode three. It's okay. Keep praying for me. But see, what would happen in your life, moms and dads, if, if we said no to one work trip in the next 12 months? What if we said, no, I got to skip that, that, one, that one meeting? What if you took just one vacation day just to be home more? And see, when you're home, it's not about just showing up, it's being intentional when you're there. 
It's not just sitting on the couch. It's not just sleeping in a little bit more. It's what I talk called the, the principle of presence. I want you to write this down, the principle of presence. And I think this relates in, in any situation, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or whether you're getting ready to go back to school, whether you are, are in the workplace. But the, the principle of presence says, I will enhance the environment. I will engage the conversation. I will enjoy the company. And I will encourage the gathering. So what do we mean by that? I will enhance the environment. I'm going to bring joy. I'm going to bring happiness to any environment that the Lord plants me in. I'm not going to be miserable. I'm not going to be the miserable Christian. I'm going to be a mighty Christian. I'm going to shift the atmosphere, Lord, wherever you send me. I'm going to engage the conversation. If you have teenagers like we have at home, getting them to talk is next to impossible. I pray every single day. And sometimes my kids are like, it sounds like you're interviewing me right now. Maybe if you'd start answering my questions, bro. But I engage the conversation. When we're there together, we're going to open up this dialogue. I'm going to enjoy the company. What does that look like? It means when you're home, when you're being intentional, you're not thinking about your 18 things on your to-do list. That's one of the hard things for me because as I'm sitting there with Rachel, as I'm sitting with my family, I'm thinking about all the time that I think I'm wasting by sitting here right now. And the Lord has said, no, I've called you to be with your family. I've called you to lead your family. And finally, what do we mean by encouraging the gathering? It means there's a piece of me that I always want to lead people better than how I found them. If you sit with me in a meeting, if you come in and we grab coffee together, really, I'm praying in the spirit throughout that entire time. Lord, give me the right words to say in this moment. Help me point them closer and closer to Jesus and help me let them leave a little bit lighter than when they first walked in. That is what we call the, the principle of presence. See, I love Ecclesiastes 8.15. It says, so I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat drink, and enjoy life. Can I ask you as parents and grandparents, when's the last time that you ate together? When's the last time when you're all together? And our life right now is really, really busy. But those nights when the five of us are home, we're intentional. We're all at the table. We're making dinner together. It's not one of those optional things. It's no, we're going to sit down and we're going to eat together. But see, some of my favorite moments is when Rachel will call, call us up and she'd be like, hey, I'm going to go to Starbucks. Mom's buying Starbucks. Anybody want to go? I was like, baby, you sexy right now. Like, let's go. Pull that, pull that minivan over. I'm hopping in. We're bringing the family in. Sometimes she calls and she goes, hey, it's the afternoon. I know you just got home, but guess what time it is? It's Sonic Happy Hour. Who wants a half-price slushie? And I'm like, your boy does. Kids, let's go. It's those moments that we're eating, we're drinking together. Find those moments, y'all. See, it's having fun together. Last Sunday, last Sunday, yo, I preached that message on sex and marriage. That was a tough one. If you weren't here, go back and listen to the podcast. You'll see the sweat on my brow in both services. But we, we got home and I was just ready to relax the rest of the day. And it just so happened that... Um, my, my youngest son, Ben, he's 12 years old. We were home together. Everybody else was gone for the, for the rest of the night. And I, as I was sitting there, I didn't even get a nap in. And, and, and I said to Ben uh, about 6 o'clock that night, I was like, hey, Benny, you want to go see you wanna go see a movie? And he's like, what? Yeah. And, and I go, you want to go see Elvis? 
And he's like, Dad, I've been waiting to go see Elvis. I was like, let's go, bro. And he's like, are you, are you sure? Because, Dad, you haven't gotten a nap in today, and I know you fall asleep in every single movie. So without a nap, I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, do you know it's two hours and 45 minutes? I'm like, come on, bro. I'm right there with you. I stayed awake for the entire two hours and 45 minutes. We got there. Listen, we bought the, the largest popcorn we could find. We bought the large soda. We split it. We spent $97 at the movie theater last Sunday. Sunday? I don't even know. But it was the greatest time for just he and I to spend time together. We tried to guess the trivia before. And he's like, why do you know all this stuff? I'm like, I'm a fountain of useless knowledge, dude. But it was just finding those moments to just have fun. And yeah, I could have taken a nap. Yeah, I could have gone to bed a little bit earlier. But God opened up an opportunity for my Benny and I to just sit down and have some fun together. See, I love this, this this passage, or I guess this quote from Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a former slave who, uh, once, he, once he was freed, he became a part of the abolitionist movement and, and made it his, the rest of his life to, to free other slaves. And I love this so much because it says, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Let me say that again. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And see, you need to know, here at Riverside, we said over the last couple of weeks, we're in a season of development. But it's not just a season of development for us as adults. It's a season to develop our children as well. We have to constantly be pouring into our kids. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Can I ask you today, where are you leading your kids? Where are you leading your grandkids? Because our children will never march in integrity unless we model integrity. It's all up to us. And see, what does godly development for our kids and our grandkids really look like? I'm going to give you three things. I think number one, it starts with discipleship. See, as parents and grandparents, we are called to point our kids closer and closer to Jesus. We are called to live a life with Jesus at the center, to create a home, to create an environment in our home where Jesus comes first. So our kids shouldn't just be seeing us pray, but we should be teaching them how to pray. Not just coming in the morning and seeing mom and dad read the Bible. No, we should be teaching them how to study the Bible themselves. See, we should make it a priority to get them in church every single week. See, can I tell you right now, if church isn't a priority for you, it will never be a priority for your kids. And so we've got to model that. Why am I so passionate about the local church is because since I was little, my mom had me in the church every single time the door was open. Not just on a Sunday morning, but that extended. Can I challenge some of you? I'm going to do it for the next two weeks. Can I challenge you to show up on a Wednesday night starting on the 24th? Get to be a part of midweek activities. Find a class where you can develop. If you come to us and say, I don't like any of those adult classes, you're an idiot because there's seven different classes that you can choose from. Some of you, you got to pray, man, is it my attitude right now? Lord, what do you want to develop in me? What do you want to develop in my kids and my grandkids? Underground, Riverside kids, amazing leaders that God is using them to develop the next generation. See, it starts with discipleship. But see, secondly, it's all about discipline. Rach said it before, we don't just let our kids do anything. There are hard conversations that happen in our house. I would love to say you, tell you uh, uh, every, every week is basically every day. Sometimes it's several times a day. 
conversations that we have to have because we're not just trying to, to raise good kids. We're actually trying to raise good adults. Because one day they're not going to be living with us. One day they're going to be launched into the real world. And while they're under our roof, we can still come alongside and help discipline them, help prepare them for where God is going to take them. But I think thirdly for me, it always comes down to devotion. See, even when I discipline my kids, I want to do it in a place of love. I want to do it in a place of compassion. Why? Because that's who my heavenly father models for me. That even when he has to correct me, even when he has to challenge me, I know that God still has a plan for me. He still loves me. He desires a relationship with me. And then that should now be the overflow in our relationship with our kids and our grandkids. They should know that, hey, mom and dad are devoted to you no matter your poor choices. No matter what you're walking through right now, we're going to come alongside you and we're going to love you through it. Yeah, and... Thirdly, I want to focus on not my fear, but our faith. You know, we have this sign in our entryway on the table, and really I just like the font of it, to be honest. <laughs> it is Hobby Lobby, I'm sure. Um, but it says faith over fear. And you see, we can buy all the cute things with the cute sayings and all of the things, but sometimes living those things out is a lot harder. And faith over fear when it comes to parenting is hard to try to find that faith over the fear, you know, and I've shared from this platform, um, last time I spoke, I talked on mental health, but um, I dealt with some postpartum depression, and then I dealt with a lot of anxiety following that, especially when the kids were little. I had a lot of irrational um, anxiety where things could happen, but were, was it probable they were going to? No. But it was a lot of anxiety when they were little. But I have found that as they are turning into teenagers, either approaching being teenagers or are teenagers, that that anxiety has just risen up again inside of me. And I wanted to share like a really vulnerable moment a couple of weeks ago here in church when Pastor Josh was speaking. And at the end, he kind of threw in a story about Jesus being asleep in the boat. If you remember at the end of his message, he talked about that. And um, if you remember, there was a storm coming in, and Jesus was on the boat with the disciples, and he was asleep, and this storm was coming in. And um, this verse stood out to me, Mark 4:38. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? You see, I had been doing this when it came to my kids. You see, I was saying to Jesus, don't you see what they're doing? Don't you see what's happening to them? Don't you see where this could lead? Don't you see them struggling? Do you see where they're at? Like, I'm trying to tell Jesus what they're going through. I'm trying to wake Jesus up, if you will, and say, hey, are you seeing this? Are you going to take care of this? But then it says this, Mark 4, 39 through 40. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, and I felt him that morning speak so specifically to me and say, why are you so afraid? Rachel, why do you fear so much when it comes to your kids? Don't you know that I love them more than you do? And don't you know that I am in their boat? 
And it may seem like I'm asleep, but I'm still in their boat because the storms are going to come and the hurdles are going to come and they're going to make mistakes. But he is in their boat. And Rachel, do you know that I'm right there with them just as I have been with you? But how many of us do this all the time? We question God when he's got it all under control. And you see, what I've done since then is I've started praying instead of worrying. I've started getting on my knees more than ever because that is where the battle and where the war is won. Because when it comes to our kids, we need to be on our knees at war for our kids because the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to take our kids out. But we have to place them in God's hands every day. And I think it's so easy in the culture we live in to fear. It's probably one of the hardest times to parent in the culture we live in when it comes to social media and technology and all of the things And the world is getting darker and darker, but we have to show them how to be brighter and brighter. You know, Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, I'm learning to plant seeds that will grow instead of expecting a tree out of my kids. Through all the insecurities and all the inadequacies in our life, realizing that he's called us to live this life, that he's called me to the family that I'm assigned to, and he's called us to the family that we have. And he's called us to put him at the center of it all, and it all starts with us. And I think we have to make the decision to plant the seed. We have to make this decision to be intentional with our kids, to be intentional in the roles that he has placed within our lives, within our family, not just as parents, but as spouses and friends and daughters and sisters. We have to be intentional because that is where he has placed us. We need to be intentional and rise above the insecurity and the inadequacies because he's going to fill in the cracks whenever we fall short. You know, when I'm in a group, we meet once a month, a few ladies and I, and we're doing a study right now called Breakthrough by Chip Ingram. And he has challenged us over the weeks of talking through this. It's an in-depth study for me to be doing. Actually, I was like, wow. (laughs) Chip really goes deep, okay? Um, But it's talking about breakthrough. But he challenged us on one of the weeks to start praying Psalm 23 over our lives and inserting our name into Psalm 23. Well, as things have come up over the summer with our kids and just the feeling of inadequacy as a parent, I just decided I'm going to start praying that over my kids as well. And so I want to read that to you this morning. And so wherever you're at, your grandkids, your kids, or even people you're mentoring, whatever, you all can use this in your everyday life, okay? Insert the names of your kids and your grandkids in this. And it says, the Lord is Ella, Liam, and Ben's shepherd. They have all that they need. He lets them rest in green meadows. He leads them beside peaceful streams. He renews their strength. He guides Ella, Liam, and Ben along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when Ella, Liam, and Ben walk through the darkest valley, they will not be afraid, for you are close beside them. 
Your rod and your staff protect and comfort them. You prepare a feast for them in the presence of their enemies. You honor El Elim and Ben by anointing their head with oil. El Elim and Ben's cups overflow with blessing, and surely goodness and mercy or goodness and unfailing love will pursue El Elim and Ben all the days of their life, and they will live in the house of the Lord forever. So today, I'm choosing faith over fear. We have to choose the faith over the fear. And I'm holding tight to the promises of God that he is in their boat. And the storms are going to come. And they have to go through those things. We have to let them go through those things. But he is in their boat. And he's got them. And he's saying, why are you afraid? I'm here and I love them more than you do. So pray more and worry less. Oh, that's so good. So good. I think finally for, for us, what we're doing is we're focusing on seeing our kids not as an inconvenience, but an investment. Not an inconvenience, but as, a, as an investment. And uh, it's well documented. I'm a, I'm a to-do list kind of person. I, I love crossing things off my list. I love to, man, focus on what I need to get done for the day. And, and not too long ago, I found myself, I was sitting at, at, at home and I was just working on some stuff on my computer and I was just striving to get everything done. And, and, and my Ben, he came alongside of me and he said something and I didn't even listen to what he was saying. I probably mumbled something and, and it caught, I immediately caught myself like, I have no idea what he just said. And, and, I, and I said, uh, Ben, what'd you say? And he said, "Never mind." And what had happened is that wasn't the first time he had said never mind to me. It had become a pattern because he had seen for so often he would come to me and I'd be so composed and worrying about all the other stuff that I didn't make time for him. And when I look back over those several weeks, several months, I'd really broken this young man's spirit that he felt like I can no longer come to my dad because he's too busy doing other things rather than worrying about what's going on in my life. And I think for me and for so many of us, if we're not careful, our kids will see themselves as a problem in our homes rather than a priority in our homes. And so we've got to see our kids as a priority time and time again. You go back into the Old Testament, you see David, he, he's talking about raising up his son Solomon to follow after God himself. And he says in 1 Chronicles 29, 19, give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees. That should be our prayer over our kids and our and our grandkids, man, I pray, God, that they follow after you, but we've got to do some work on that as well. We've got to come alongside them. We need to be showing them, like I said, how to pray. We need to be praying over them. We need to be teaching them God's word. We need to be finding any opportunity for, they, for them to be spending time in church around other believers that are going to encourage them. They're going to come alongside of them. See, when I was, man, probably 20 years old, it's been a, a long, long time ago now, uh, I, would, I would so often, this is kind of embarrassing, but I would get done with class in the afternoon and I would race home to my apartment and I, I love to be home by four o'clock and turn on 20, channel 25 because I love to watch the Oprah Winfrey show. Now, I know that I wasn't a normal 20-year-old dude, uh, but I, would, like, I was with Oprah like when Tom Cruise was jumping on the couch. I remember when she pulled out that wagon that had all of her fat in it. Like, I, like we, 
we went way back. And, and I remember one time when I was still in college, and this has still stuck with me. I wasn't a parent at the time. I was far from being a parent. But I remember that uh, Oprah had on Toni Morrison, prolific author, written Beloved, uh, The Bluest Eye. And I'll never forget what she said. There was a moment where she was talking, and, and she said, as a parent, does your face light up when your kids walk in the room? And that stuck with me all these years later. There are so many times in the midst of our crazy schedule, in the midst of my to-dos, does your face light up when your kids walk in the room? But first, in order to, for your face to light up, we first have to look up. We've got to look up from our computer. We've got to look up from our phones. We've got to look up from our book. Why? Because in that moment, do you see it as an opportunity for interruption or as an opportunity for interaction? When your kids walk in the room, is it all about interrupting what you have going on? Or is that uh, uh, an opportunity for the Holy Spirit has put in your life right there to interact with your kids? To allow them to, to open up to you, to speak God's word over their lives. See, I'm telling you, as a pastor, you would think that I would have this all together. But this has been over the last few months, this has been something in real time that the Lord has convicted me on. I've had to continue to walk through this. And I think for me, it really started the day before Easter. I was sitting there the Saturday before Easter, and if you know anything about ministry, like Easter is like the Super Bowl of Sundays. We put so much work and so much prayer and so much effort and time and money into that. And, and if you're on the other side where you're the, the guy that has to hear from the Lord and you're trying to craft a message, there's lots of pressure that goes into that. Man, I, I want to speak, uh, I, I speak into right what they're, what's going on. And I want to give them an opportunity to, to give their heart and life to Jesus. And Lord, was that, what does that look like? And so that Saturday morning, I was try, trying to polish what I was gonna say, and I was going through my message. I wanted to have it down pat. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself in this message. And throughout that day, as I spent hours, just one last time going through it, every single one of my kids would come into the room and they would try to talk with me. And I, I, I just kind of blew them off, if I'm really honest. I was like, I got, I got, some, stuff to, uh, got some stuff to do. I gotta work on this before, before tomorrow. And you see, even that morning, normally I start my mornings with, my, my quiet time. We've been doing, if you're new at Riverside, we've been doing this year-long Bible reading plan. And, and that day I was so focused on preparing for the next day that I kind of blew it off. And so later that afternoon, I, I pulled out my one-year Bible and I started to read. And I, I kid you not, you can go back and look uh, in April. But that day I sat back down and we happened to be in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. And the Lord had to slap me across the face that afternoon because it said one day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I'll tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And in that afternoon, as I sat there, the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, Pastor Michael, you've been acting more like the disciples than Jesus. You've had this posture of just stay away rather than come here. 
come close. Let me invite you in. And when I think back on that season, I wasn't being a supportive dad, I was being a selfish dad. How did I know that? Because it was in the wording I was using. I have a lot to do before tomorrow. I'm so stressed. I don't have time to answer one more question. It came from a selfish place. It was all about me. It was using I, 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 and it had nothing to do with my kids. And when I had that moment with the Lord, he said, I, I've called you as the leader of your home to invest in your kids. I've called you to empower your kids. And Michael, you need to know that you've been in a season where you haven't been empowering your kids, you've actually been embarrassed by your kids. And the Lord started to reveal to me, you gotta, you gotta change some stuff. You gotta change how you're interacting with your kids. You gotta change your priority with your kids. And I'm telling you, it, it, it changed the game in my attitude. It changed the game in my schedule. It changed the game in my, in my presence with my kids, the intentionality with my kids. And you know, during that same time, right around maybe a week or so, the next Sunday after Easter, somebody came up to Rach and they never come up to me because they know it ain't gonna go good if you come up to me. And, and they came up to Rach and they said, hey, you need to know what one of your kids was doing during the 11 o'clock service. And Rachel's was like, what? And, and somebody said, they were running around downstairs on the wood floor while church was going on. And Rachel relayed the message to me and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them. But the way that it was communicated to us, I thought like something really bad happened. Your kid. Like legit, like when she told me, hey, I gotta tell you what happened during service with one of our kids, I was like, I thought they were like smoking crack in the bathroom. Like I thought one of them was having sex on a ping pong table downstairs, like. I was like, they were, run they were running around. I was like, okay. And I, I kid you not. Our team, our staff that's in this room, the, the very next Tuesday, we sat down and I just kind of shared some things that we need to remember as a team, as a staff moving forward. And, and I said, one of, and I got to the end, I started talking about my kids. Because my kids are around here a lot. I love the fact that probably about two thirds of them just love coming with dad to the office on a regular day during the week. The other one's sleeping until two in the afternoon. Pray for them. And I love it because they have a heart for this house, just like their mom and dad. They love to be around here. And yeah, they're a little rambunctious sometimes, but I remember saying to our team, like when our kids are around here on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, they, they get to see under the hood. 
See, some of y'all are here on a Sunday morning and everything looks great. Everybody's so kind to you, but then when you start to serve or you come during the week and you can see we're not also Jesus every single day. We got our own issues and there's nobody who's less Jesus some days than their mom and dad at home. And they're in this journey of faith. And, and really what my fear, I don't live in a lot of fear like Rach was saying, but I think number one, my fear is that my kids will grow up to hate me because of bad decisions, lack of time, lack of intentionality, that they would see one person on the platform and somebody different at home. But my second fear is that they would hate the church. I'm not saying Riverside, I'm saying the global church, that they will turn from their own relationship with Jesus and see it's how Rach and I steward it. And real talk, it's how y'all steward it with my kids. Because we've gotten to the place where so many of them are serving right now in this 11 o'clock service. I'm praying they're not running around downstairs on the wood floor or having sex on a ping pong table. But before they serve on a Sunday morning, they'll pull up planning center and they'll see who they're serving with. And when they look at who, who's on their team, it's either, oh good, or oh crap. Because people in this church, they have high expectations for our kids lofty expectations that my kids are never going to fill. Rach said it, I said it. Man, we, we discipline them. We have hard conversations at home. We don't let them get away with stuff. But each one of my kids, they are just a, a, a beautiful mixture of my wife and I. There, there's some really great strengths and there's some things that, my gosh, the Lord is working on them just as he's working on their parents. And see, we've walked through this just in the last week. It's crazy when you prepare a message, how you gotta walk through it. And just the other day, I said, there are people that, listen, if you come through the line on a Sunday and the only time you come through the line is when you got something to complain about, don't come through the line. No, I'm serious. Because some of y'all, you, you, you avoid the line until you have something to say about what you don't. <laughs> let's, let's just step on some toes right now. Let's go crunchy. Because some of y'all, we don't see you in line unless there's something that you don't like about the service. It's too bright. It's too loud. There's something theologically you disagree with. And listen, my kids are just like me. If I'm only hearing from y'all when you're upset about something, I have no relationship with you. But when I have an Elmer, happy birthday, Elmer. I love you so much. Elmer and Katrina, they come through the line every single week. I love them. I love your crew. You got a whole crew today. And uh, I love you. See, I, that's a relationship. We build a relationship. So if Katrina comes through today and says, hey, something you said just didn't really land with me. Last week, I did something really stupid in this 11 o'clock service. I, I said, um, when Rach was talking about, uh, 
I, I said, I was supposed to try to say sex isn't dirty, sex is divine, but I actually said sin isn't dirty, sin is divine. Some of y'all caught it, but you were so like nice about it because you knew what I was trying to get at. So if you come through the line and, 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 and you have a relationship with y'all, but there's people that, that come to Rachel and myself that come to my kids and you ride us. If you're only coming to my kids when they're doing something naughty, you've missed it. Because I want them to see Jesus in us. Not Jesus and just mom and dad, not Jesus and just Pastor Dana and Jason, but Jesus in all of us, that you would come alongside them. When you see my kids doing something good, I love you. Oh my gosh, the way you've held that baby, the way you've waited so patiently in line for the coffee, I know you want an ice cap, bro. Juan Rios is the best person. You come up to my kids, I'll honor you right now. We're going way off the handles right now. But the way you come up to my kids and just even when they're naughty, you come and put your arm around them and you're just like, hey, let's get back on track. Because Juan and Amanda and Katrina, y'all see, you're all walking through a season with us right now and the Lord has shifted my view of my kids. In the last four months, the Lord has allowed me to start seeing them not for their problems, but for their potential. Because <laughs> for so long, I would focus on what they were doing wrong. And the Lord's like, no, I, I've got potential for them just like I got potential for y'all. And so what I've tried to do to the best of my ability, and I'm, I'm so far from perfect, I'm trying as best as I can, not to react in anger, but to respond in love. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. When you read Luke chapter 18, that's what Jesus was doing. And see, I don't know who I'm talking to today in a group this size, as many people who are watching right now. I've sat with many of y'all. I've sat, sat with parents and I've sat with marriages and I've sat with families that things are really fractured right now and for me it's a wake up call it's for me I don't want to see my kids as a burden I want to see my kids as a blessing that when they walk in the room I don't want to see my kids as a bother I want to see my kids as a blessing why? Because that's who Jesus was. And I want to, in my parenting, I want to model Jesus as best I can. I'm so far from Jesus. But when I look at his example, when I look at those words over and over as he brought those little children to him, he made time for them. There's no one busier with a longer to-do list than Jesus. But he stopped and he made time for them. Lots of things that he had to do, lots of places he had to go. 
But Jesus made time and then he went and he made space. He didn't say, just stay away, stay over there. He said, come. Come to me. Come close to me. Sit on my lap. Let me spend time with you. Let me love you. And because he made time for them, because he made space for them, he made a difference. I can't imagine being those children. I can't imagine going about the rest of your day, the rest of your adolescence, when you grow up and looking back, like, I gotta tell you, one day I got to spend time with Jesus. It's why for the rest of the time that we are the leaders of this church, we'll never not stand at that door. Even when some of y'all calm with your criticism, because in those moments, I love y'all as adults, but there's something really special when your kids and your grandkids come through that line. There's something really, really special when I'm able to get down on my knees and love your kids and your kids like put their cheeks next to my cheeks. There ain't nothing like it. There ain't nothing like it. See, there's some of y'all that talking about a message on parenting is incredibly difficult. Because it brings up some hard things. See, and some of you, I know your stories and I'm, I'm, I'm praying right alongside of you. There's an incredible couple in here and I can't look at you because you know I'm going to cry because I know your journey. I know the journey you're on right now. I'm praying for you every single day. Every single day we're praying for you. I believe God is going to give you the desires of your heart in his timing. Keep trusting. Keep believing. It's going to happen. And this morning, God gave me this message almost two months ago as I sat on a cruise ship with probably the cha-cha slide playing in the back. <laughs> and God dropped something on my heart because, as Rach said, I believe families are under attack right now. Marriages are under attack. Some of you are just ready to throw in the towel. Some of you wish your spouse was here right now, and they're not. Some of you wish your, your child was here. But you have that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter. You're, there's a lack of relationship right now. and We're going to end a little bit different. This isn't the end. But the Lord put on my heart today to just spend some time just praying over families. Because I know there's a battle. The enemy would love nothing more than to destroy families. He would love nothing more than to take out godly families. He would love nothing more than for you to just walk out the same as when you walked in today. And so today we're going to do something different. Today what I'm going to ask you is that if you came with somebody today and they're in Riverside Kids, 
You have a child in the nursery, in pre-K, in K-5. In just a moment, I'm gonna dismiss you to go get them, to bring them back into service. Because we're gonna end service today praying over families. So what does that look like? It means that in just a moment, you're gonna get up. Riverside Kids Team, they're already prepared for you. They're like, we were waiting for you 10 minutes ago, Michael. Then you got off your notes, shocker. But you're gonna go and you're gonna, you're gonna bring them in. We're gonna sing a song together for the rest of us that are here. I'm just gonna pray a, a prayer of blessing over every single family. If you're watching as part of our online community, you're not left out either. If you're watching, you have your kids in your home right now, either you're watching this live, you're watching it later today or in the weeks and months to come, go get your kids. Bring the whole family together because I'm gonna pray over y'all as well. But at this moment, I, I just want to invite everybody to stand to their feet. And I want you to, to go get your kids right now. Don't, don't. And some of y'all are like, you're looking at the clock and you're like, I can get to Culver's early today. Don't move. Because I think you're going to miss the moment. See, I don't think this is the end for some of y'all. You feel like, I'm never going to keep going. No, I believe this is the beginning that God wants to do something new in your family. If you're just going to trust him, if you're going to say, today, I'm going to raise my hands and surrender and say, God, I've tried to do it on my own, but today I'm putting you first. I'm putting my family first. I'm believing that one day I'm going to be cradling my own child in my arms, that one day by the end of this year, a year from now, that one day my son, my daughter will be coming back to Jesus that they will have their own unique relationship with Jesus so we're just going to worship we're going to take one of my favorite songs I will be content in every circumstance that God you are more than enough we're going to worship together for the next few minutes and then we're going to come back and we're going to pray blessings over these incredible families